morning scripture reading will be from the book of Exodus, be from chapter 33, verses 12 through 23. <clears throat> Exodus 33, verses 12 through uh, 23, and I will be reading from the New King James Version. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your, in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, Please show, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see my face and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall, no, it shall not be seen. The man Moses grew up in the house of royalty in Egypt. His mother was the daughter of the king and he had everything going for him, or so it seemed. He grew to, into a man and through the providence of God he was reared by his real mother who taught him what it meant to be a follower of God. Of course, over time as he learned more about the God of heaven and uh, who he was and in some sense he understood God had a plan for him to help alleviate the pain of his brethren. He went out amongst his brethren, and on one occasion we recall his defending one of the Israelite slaves from the Egyptian taskmaster, and he killed that Egyptian taskmaster. Of course, having done that, he had to run away from the, the riches and the wealth and the royalty of Egypt, and he had to go into hiding. At 40 years old, Moses left the only home he had ever known. He had to go to a place he had never been, evidently, and start a life he didn't know how to begin. Of course, we learned that he went to Midian and he kept the sheep of who would be his, become his father-in-law, Jethro, Acts 17, 22 through 30. And we learned that by reading the that wonderful sermon Stephen preached in Acts 17 that Moses was lacking in a lot of areas when it came to his leadership style. He wasn't ready to do what God needed him to do. He had to learn more about God. He had to learn more about people. He had to learn a whole lot more about himself. But he did that as he labored in the deserts of Midian watching after those sheep. Of course, ultimately, we recall that God appeared to Moses out of a burning bush and spoke to him from that burning bush and explained to him what he had in store. He told Moses what he would be doing in 
exactly how he was going to go about doing it. And But we also remember all the excuses, don't we? We recall why Moses said he wasn't the right guy for the job. He said, first of all, he said, who am I to do something like this? Of course, we know that Moses was a humble and a meek man, but I think probably on this occasion he was grasping at about any excuse he could think of not to do what God asked him to do. Who am I to do this? He said, what am I going to tell the people when they ask me who you are? What's your name? He went on to say, they won't believe me. I'm not a good speaker. How am I going to be able to do this? Of course, God had the answers to all the questions. And Moses did go on to shoulder that great responsibility of leading a group of people out of Egyptian bondage that numbered at least two and a half million people and probably much more than that. What do we learn from the study of Exodus? We learn that Moses had a daunting task ahead of him. He had to lead a group of people, and there were a lot more problems in that scenario than the sheer number of people they represented. Now let's think about what his duty was, brethren. His duty was to lead a rebellious, self-centered, selfish, stubborn group of people out of Egypt who had terrible attitudes toward God, toward Moses, toward their neighbors, and toward themselves. Well, who wouldn't want that job, right? How was he ever going to accomplish such an assignment? Well, of course, we know the end of the account. He was able to lead the people to the promised land, and we learn how he was able to do it. He was not alone. He had a lot of people helping him, and we can't list all of those who helped him. But we recall his his brother, or his father-in-law Jethro, after he'd come out of a, a significant battle, victorious. Jethro came to Moses and he brought his wife and his children and he began to notice that Moses would get up in the morning and he would be up until way in the evening and this whole time he was sitting in the presence of people who were coming and going, asking him questions and needing advice from him about what God had to say about particular things. So his father-in-law in his great wisdom said, you're going to wear yourself out, Moses. You need to set captains over thousands, over hundreds, over fifties, and over tens. And you need to teach those men the principles that God has set forth. Men who are faithful, who are willing to do what God wanted, and are able to do what God wanted. And let them handle these everyday problems that you have been handling yourself instead of managing every single thing that happens in a nation that has such a huge population. Now we said two and a half million. That's two and a half million if the 600,000 grown men who were warriors each had a wife and only two children. Of course, that wasn't common for the day, was it? Each would most likely have a wife, and I think probably the average, if I remember correctly, was somewhere around five children. So we're thinking, we're looking at a, a, a vast number of people, maybe even as many as six million. We look at the nation of Israel today, or the nation that calls themselves Israel, geopolitically, the nation of Israel. And I think there are about 8 million people in that nation. So at any rate, we have one man here handling every single issue that comes up in a nation of at least 2.5 million people. But of course, he also had his brother Aaron. His brother Aaron was there with him to aid him as he led these people through 
40 years of wilderness wandering, 38 years of wilderness wandering, two years of getting out of Egypt over to the, the cusp of going into the promised land. But most importantly, Moses had the correct relationship with God, and that's the most help he received, the relationship with God. Of course, over time, as the people wandered throughout the wilderness, they had refused to enter into the land God had blessed them with and had given into their hand because they feared the giants that were were in the nation and they didn't trust God like they should have trusted Him. And so He sent them back out into that wilderness to be punished for an additional 40, uh, 38 years. Of course, He took care of them during that period of time. He fed them. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. He led them with a pillar of uh, a cloud of uh, smoke during the day and, and a pillar of fire at night. He was always with them, but they just couldn't get it together in their minds what they needed to be doing or at least they were not able to do what they needed to do. And so they would continually sin against God. They would be out in the wilderness and they would fuss and complain because even after God sent manna down from heaven, can you imagine how wonderful that food must have been? They began to complain because we don't have the leeks or the fish or the meat or all of those things, those wonderful things we had, but they leave out that important adjective when we were slaves. And so, of course, over time, God would punish them in various ways, and ultimately they wound up at the foot of Mount Sinai. At the foot of Mount Sinai, Moses went to the top of that mountain, and he received by the hands of angels the Ten Commandments written on stone that God had provided for him. We remember the account, Exodus chapter 32, after 40 days or or thereabout, before Moses came down, he was up there for 40 days, and prior to his coming down, what happened? Here we go again. The Israelites began to murmur, Who's this Moses that led us out here to die? Where'd he go? He's abandoned us. And so his own brother Aaron, who was supposed to be helping him lead those people, being, as it were, his right-hand man, he said, Okay, I will create for you a golden calf. And he took the earrings and other gold pieces and he fashioned a golden calf. Now, of course, we know what he told Moses when Moses came down from the mountain. He said, I threw that gold in there and out walked this calf. But at any rate, Moses did come down from that mountain and he saw what was going on as they were worshiping that golden calf. And in his anger, he threw down those golden tablets or those stone tablets he took that golden calf and he ground it into dust. He put it into the drinking water and he made the people drink it. After he had killed several thousand of them by the hands of the Levites. Of course, Moses had to go back up on that mountain. And this time, instead of having the stones delivered to him by the hands of angels, having already been prepared by God, he had to chisel those stones himself. So he was up there another 40 days. And that's the period of time that really we want to notice. I think it was at that time that perhaps Moses had to rely on God more than any other time. After having dealt with the idolatry among the people, and Moses had to take the nation into that promised land, God had decided... I'm not going with you. 
my presence isn't going to go with you into that promised land. He said, I'm going to send an angel ahead of you. He's going to drive out the Canaanites and the inhabitants. But wait a minute. That's not how it was supposed to go, right? And when we get over to our passage in Exodus 33, we hear Moses speaking to God. He's saying, in essence, wait a minute. That's not what we agreed on. Of course, Moses wasn't understanding properly at that time because he was distraught. God's agreements are based on conditions. And the people didn't meet the conditions. God was supposed to go with them into that land. His presence was supposed to be with them as they entered into that land flowing with milk and honey. And he said, you're not going to go. Why aren't you going to go? Well, the people had sinned against God, so God was going to punish those people. In essence, really, we look at what God told Moses, and Moses really is saying, well, if you're not going to go, I don't want to go. I don't want to be separated from you. Are you going to send us out into that nation separated from you? Is that not what keeps us apart and different from the rest of the world? Is your presence being with us? We have to have it that way. But let's keep in mind, Moses had just about reached the end of his rope, hadn't he? He had just about had enough of what was going on. And it's almost as if he could leave the people for five minutes and then they find themselves involved in any number of sins because they can't remain focused on what God needs them to be doing. And is that discouraging? That's absolutely discouraging. Moses was discouraged beyond what we can even understand. Knowing that, Moses needed some extra encouragement. Moses needed to see the glory of God. That's the title of the sermon this morning. Seeing the glory of God. And as we consider the encouragement that Moses received and needed during a very special and stressful time, Let's begin with his bold request. That's our first point. Let's get to the basis of this this bold request. What was the whole purpose of it? Why was the reasoning, or what was the reasoning behind Moses' request? It had everything to do with that great duty with which he was tasked. He was divinely called by God to lead a group of people into the land of Canaan, and that was... A very difficult assignment. Often his authority was questioned. His orders were disobeyed. The people did pretty much what they wanted to do. And I don't know about anyone else, but I would not have volunteered for that job. Moses was handed by God. I'm glad Moses was the man that he was because he accepted that. He went on and he carried that out. Yet his job demanded faithfulness and dependability. How can you be faithful and dependable when all you are is discouraged? His task really was to walk in obedience to God, wasn't it? Now we need to learn something from Moses this morning. How really is his task that much different from ours? Let's take out of the way the obvious. We're not leading a a nation of two and a half million uh, people or more, but are we tasked with walking in obedience to God? That's really what Moses' task was. That was his duty. He had to walk in obedience, and we have to do the same. To walk in obedience and the will of God after He calls us first by the gospel. 
2 Thessalonians 2.14. Moses was called from a burning bush that would not burn up. We're called by an inspired writing, the gospel of Christ. That's what Paul said. He saved us through that gospel which called us. Paul said that, Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all that believeth, to the Jew first and even to the Greek. And He keeps us in the hand of His safety day by day, Hebrews 10.23. So really, aside from the obvious, our task is what Moses' task was. To walk in obedience to God, He called us, He saved us, and He keeps us. And that's what happened to Moses. But Moses was discouraged. But that's why Paul demanded from us, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Moses had to be found faithful and so do we. That was the basis for his bold request. The duty, the duty and the pressure of that duty led him to the request that he made of God. And the enormity of that duty also led to his discouragement. That's why he needed to see the glory of God. Let your presence come before me. Let me get a little closer to who you are. Those who led, who he led constantly rebelled against him, didn't he? Didn't they? They were constantly rebelling. They were jealous. Even his brother and his sister became jealous of him. He married a woman after his wife had passed and And they didn't like that. They were jealous of her. And so they rebelled at the foot of Mount Sinai, chapter 32, which resulted in God wanting to destroy them once and for all. Now think about God's frustration. He is in heaven. He's led this people. He's given them all that they could ever need. And they are rebelling against Him. Do you imagine He was frustrated with that? He wanted to destroy the people at worst and to separate His presence from them at best. We can almost see it, can't we? He just didn't want them in His face any longer. Because all He did for them, they rejected and they did not appreciate. Can you imagine how Moses felt? We see the frustration in God's decision. But can you imagine the discouragement in Moses? He had done His best to lead this group of people. And all they did was complain, find fault, sin against heaven. Do you ever think there was a time when Moses just wanted to throw in the towel and say, forget it, I've had it, I'm done, I can't do enough, there's there's nothing more I can do. But you know he didn't do that. And I think there are a couple things we better take away from reading and learning about Moses in this scenario. There's some very important things. First, it is unacceptable to behave like Israel behaved. Do you ever read about a more selfish group of people with which a leader would have to deal than the nation of Israel? All down through their history, right? There are periods of time when they didn't cause a whole lot of problem. Solomon reigned over a peaceful period of time in the history of of Israel, but Solomon wasn't faithful either for a, for a part of that time, but I can't read about a more selfish people anywhere in the Bible. I think the application 
is for Christians today to not behave that way toward the leadership that, that Jesus has established in the church. And the writer of Hebrews addressed that. He talked about that. and He gave some very specific reactions toward elders of each local congregation. Turn with me Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7, the writer of Hebrews says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who has spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. They were faithful men, placed in a position of authority within the local congregation, elders, pastor, presbyter, bishop, overseer. That's all the same position. They're all elders. And then he went on to remind the reader in verse 17, he said, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. What's unprofitable for you? What was the writer talking about? It's unprofitable for the individual or the congregation to cause a faithful eldership to lead in grief and without joy. That's what's unprofitable. And that was the problem Moses faced. As he led these people, was it joyous? No. All it was was grief. All they did was withstand him. All he did was rebuke, it seems, constantly. They weren't happy with their food. They weren't happy with their water. They weren't happy with this, weren't happy with that. They just wanted to, we could have died in Egypt. Why bring us out into this desert? Can you imagine the discouragement because he was shouldered with that duty? No wonder he made this bold request of God to see his presence. He needed some encouragement. Now the other thing we need to learn from this is we don't want to behave like the Israelites. And we also need to understand How to respond to discouragement. How do we respond to those who are discouraged? Moses responded appropriately, didn't he? And he's our example. It is never a sin to be discouraged. The only time it can ever be a sin is how we react to discouragement. But Moses knew the cure, didn't he? Was he discouraged? Absolutely. I don't know how the man could have been more discouraged. But he had the cure. He said, and we see his mindset, he needed a fresh glimpse and a fresh look at God. He needed to be rejuvenated. Moses wanted to better understand some very important things about God. He wanted to better understand His ways. He wanted to better understand His person. He wanted to better understand His presence and His glory. Moses wanted to get right next to God. And that's where we go when we are discouraged. But none of that can happen unless we seek to see His glory. That's on us individually, isn't it? And we cannot do that unless we get closer to Him. That is the cure for discouragement. Notice what Paul reminded the Ephesians, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. He wanted them to know how to go into battle. Put on the whole armor of God. Don't leave anything off. Go into battle. You can defeat Satan if you're wearing the whole armor of God. How do we maintain, how do we attain the whole armor of God? 
Well, we have to become Christians first. We have to be clothed in righteousness. We have to be able to wear the helmet of salvation, the sword of uh, faith. We need to have all of those things. We need to hide the Word of God in our hearts, Psalm 119.11, so that we can know how we need to behave so we won't sin against God. We need to learn that when Satan does come along, and he's coming, that we need to resist him. And if we resist him, James 4.7, then he will flee at least for a period of time. And then we can recharge and we can get our weapons and our defense mechanisms in place because He's coming back and we can prepare for Him. You see, the bold request made by Moses was one that he needed to make. He had to have it. He wanted God to be with him. In essence, he said, please let me see you. Let me look at you. Let me be encouraged. Because we're people, right? Moses was a person. He understood God was there. He had seen the evidence of God. But he needed some encouragement. Just let me look on you. He needed to be closer to God and so do we. And notice his bold request. It was met with a balanced response, wasn't it? That's our second point. God made a promise. And he agreed to let Moses see his presence. We see that in verse 17 of our passage. And we learn in that verse why. Why why did God allow him to be given that privilege? Because he had found grace in the eyes of God. Now that wasn't the only request he made of God in that chapter. We remember the first request was, you're supposed to go into the land with us. God said, okay, I'll go into the land with you. Being kind of emboldened with that and needing some more encouragement, he says, okay, let me see your glory. That was for Moses personally, wasn't it? And so God made a made a promise to him. Moses found grace. He didn't earn that position. He didn't do enough good things to be able to be in the presence of God. But what he did do was he worked the works of God. He did the things God asked him to do. And so God allowed him to do that. Because he was carrying out faithfully the works of God. And that's an application for us today. We have to carry out the works of God if we're going to be in the presence of God. How can I do the works of God? Jesus was asked, believe on Him who sent me. That's the work of God. Faith is a work. Repentance is a work. Acts 2.38 It's a requirement. It's a godly work. Confession unto salvation, Romans 10, 9 and 10, is a work. And we see the Ethiopian eunuch do that. In Acts 8.37, immersion in water is a work of God. All these are works of God, Acts 22.16, and that's why it can wash away sin. Living faithfully is a work of God, not a work of man. That's why when we fulfill the works of God, we can be in His presence. We can see His glory, and that's what Moses had been doing, and that's the application for us. If our goal is seeing the glory of God, and it must be, then we must draw nigh to God and He will draw, draw closer to us. James 4 verse 8. And that's what Moses understood. That's what we need to understand. And that desire helped him to maintain his faithfulness. God made a promise, but to benefit from that promise, something had to happen. Moses had to have a place of security. Nothing has changed. 
we have to have a place of security. And that place for Moses was the cleft of the rock. And that's exactly what Christ does for us today. He places us in the cleft of the rock. And there's only one place where a person can enjoy the security of salvation. Not eternal security, unless we remain faithful. But the security of salvation, and that is in the rock of Christ. Christ is the rock, isn't He? Notice what Paul reminded the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10, beginning with verse 1. He said, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that our, all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. The second person of the Godhead provided for them and interacted with Moses. We remember when Moses struck the rock the second time when he was only to speak to it. God still fed the people water, but Moses destroyed the type. The Christ was only struck once. He died one time. He doesn't die continually. He died once for our sins. He's our rock. And He's the one that gave life to the people in the the wilderness. If we want protection of the Father, we have to maintain it and gain it through the Son. After seeing the glory of God on that mountaintop, do you know Moses was never the same? No way, right? No way he could ever be the same. But how can anyone come face to face with God and remain like He was? That's not possible. Throughout the history of humanity, those who came in close proximity with God, those who stood next to Him, those who did the things He asked them to do and lived a faithful life, they were forever changed. When we study the life of Christ and we get over to Acts chapter 4 verse 13, the disciples were marked for the time they spent with Jesus. They could tell they were disciples of Christ by their behavior. And that's what Moses was doing. Moses was no different. Now I want us to notice the blessed result of his seeing the glory of God. That's our third and final point. We see the renunciation of self in Moses, don't we? Think about this. When one sees God for who He is he more clearly sees himself as he is, right? We can't help but do that. Many have a warped view of themselves in the world. Many people think much highly, more highly of themselves than they ought to think of themselves. But a good look at God will change that, or at least it should. Notice what James said, James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. That's what happened to Moses. Moses humbled himself in the sight of God and God encouraged him and lifted him up. We learn in Exodus 34, after his experience on the top of that mountain and seeing the glory of God, you recall what happened to Moses? He came down off of that mountain and his skin was glowing. He had been in the very presence of God and he was glowing. In fact, it scared the people. He had to put a veil on his face. 
When he came out among the people, he had to put a veil on his face. When he went into the tabernacle, he took it off so he could continue speaking with God. And he came out, he had to put the veil on his face until his skin stopped glowing. Do you know who noticed that Moses' face shone? The people. Do you know who didn't notice that his face shone? That he had the glory of God in his presence? Was Moses himself because he was a humble man. I think when a person gets to the point where they say, I have arrived spiritually, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm carrying it out exactly the way God wants me to carry it out, that person is in trouble because he's not where he thinks he is. Moses was humble. And those who are humble understand the glory of God. Those who are not humble need a good dose of who God really is. All of that helped to renew and strengthen the relationship Moses had with God. A renunciation of self and a wonderful relationship that was strengthened even more so than it was before. I think that's a lesson in itself, isn't it? Humble ourselves before God. Even in our discouragement, we can be lifted up. There was a closeness between God and Moses that could not have otherwise ever existed had Moses not lived that way. I think the same thing is true for us today. Let's think about it this way. What if Moses had gone before God and he said, You know, uh, I've had enough. I've had enough. I gave it my best shot. You brought me out here. You saddled me with a group of worthless people. And you have left me to suffer all this time, even while I was doing what you asked me to do. Now we look at what happened in Moses' life, and and maybe even most of us can say, I can understand how someone would feel that way. I can understand how someone could stand up and say, you know what, I'm finished, I'm done. I can't do enough. But Moses didn't do that. You know why? Because if he had have done that, he would have been questioning the authority of God. He would have been questioning the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present deity of the world and saying, you obviously don't understand what you were doing. And that's not what Moses did. Moses humbled himself. It doesn't sound like a person who's humble to make a statement like that, does it? And that's why Moses didn't do it. God didn't love Moses more than He loved any other person in His creation. But he did have a special relationship with Moses. The difference was Moses wanted to see the glory of God. And it seems almost everyone else in the world did not. They didn't care about the glory of God. Those two and a half million or so people, how many, how much ever, how many there were, they weren't interested in seeing the glory of God. They wanted a, a golden calf. They wanted certain kinds of food. They wanted uh, ease and relaxation. They were tired of walking through that desert. They wanted God to give them the promised land without them having to meet the conditions to receive it. But when we get closer to God, we better see Him and we better see ourselves more clearly, don't we? And when we do that, we will be able to adjust the things in our lives that need to be adjusted. We'll be able to maintain those things in our lives that pleases God and we'll be able to live the life He wants us to live. Moses' life changed forever on the top of that mountain. From Mount Sinai to the end of his life, he never was the same person. And when we get closer to God through Christ, our lives change 
forever also. Sometimes, because we're people, we kind of need to be reminded of the mission of this life. And that mission is to forever be looking and seeing the glory of God. And that is accomplished through a life of obedience and faithfulness. We just spoke about how to become a Christian. The plan of salvation. We talked about that. Faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living. That's how we see the glory of God. And we maintain that glory through being faithful and walking a new life. Sometimes we step outside the light. We refuse to see the glory of God or we just separate ourselves from Him. He wants us to come back. He wants us to walk in the light. And it's His light in which we are to walk. That's the glory of God. And when we fail Him, we need to repent of that sin. We need to ask Him to forgive us. And if it's of a public nature, we need to ask the church to forgive us as well. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.